Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 14, season four of this spiritual fix. Today is part two of three of our father wound series. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. We wanted to give you all a trigger warning prior to this episode. We will be talking about stats regarding domestic violence as well as sexual assault and how they relate to the father wound. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina Wiltsey. <laughs> how how is the world how is it going life is a lot better since last time we spoke yeah <laughs> since last time we spoke in a podcast context oh in a podcast <laughs> i should say on the podcast yes yep. um for any people who were worried that i don't want to continue the podcast that has changed <laughs> <laughs> um that that was a fleeting miserable thought but um well i i don't know i just i just wanted to like kind of reflect on last week's episode i just am so grateful that you were able to come and say that right to just totally pour your whole self out there and just be like yeah this is whatever it is and we and and also the feedback that we've gotten since it aired has been yeah, wonderful. so many people yeah. reached out and i was worried like people were gonna think i was like pathetic complaining about certain things mm -hmm. but a lot of people resonated with it and then something ironic or fittingly enough happened, which is like my family doesn't really listen to the podcast unless I specifically I'm like, you really got to listen to this episode. And so my dad has only listened to the primal wounds and that's it. And he calls me last night. And he's like, I started listening to the father wound. And I was like, I was like, don't listen to that episode. I was like, I even say in the episode, don't listen to this dad. And he's like, why not? It was really good. And I, I was like, well, how far did you get? He didn't get to the part where I tell the story about the car and I just start crying and I told him I was like I just feel really bad because you've been a really good father and you're amazing and I share a story that paints you in a really bad light and like I don't want my contribution to your public image or, or just like people thinking in the world like my dad doesn't deserve to be thought of as an asshole because that situation doesn't paint the entirety of who he is right I mean, he, he was a single father of four kids and, and I just felt like that one story was not the best illustration of who he is and what he means to me. And I just started crying. I was like, I tell a story and it paints you really badly and I'm really sorry, but I felt like, you know, it was my story to tell and I hoped it would help listeners and I really don't want you to listen to that. And he was like, he was like, if it's upsetting to you, I won't listen to it. But when you're ready for me to listen to it, I want to listen to it so that we can hopefully hopefully resolve it and he said whatever story you told is probably nothing compared to all the stories I remind myself in my own head of all of the ways I failed my kids which was like really sad too you I, know but I don't know I for me hearing that him giving that to you which is like his truth right which is what I mean I feel like as parents we can have a tendency to do that right to like I don't know. I just feel like that is such an amazing thing that he gave you by saying that. I think yeah. there are a lot of parents who would never have that much self-knowledge to be able to say that to their kid, right? Right. 
Well, That's... I was just like, oh, I'm not ready for you to listen to it. But I just thought, what are the odds? We, we post that episode on Tuesday. It's Wednesday night. And he's like started listening to it. I'm like, of all episodes, why that one? I think if my kids ever end up doing a podcast and they have one called The Mother Wound, I would probably listen to that first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably his friends were like, mm, you need to listen to that episode. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I wanted to just say that, you know, two episodes back, we interviewed Joyce Anastasia, that NDE survivor who came back with a lot of psychic abilities. And she gave Christine and I each a free session as like a thanks for being on the show. She was uncannily accurate. First of all, she summoned my dead mother, who if she hadn't listened to like X amount of podcasts, how would she know that? She knew the ages of my children without me telling her which you and never then, talk about yeah which i don't publicly uh, i have all my kids stuff on private because i'm like paranoid about that and then then she told me that like sometimes in my creative endeavors i might feel discouraged because i'm not getting the feedback i want and that i need to just continue with them anyways and i should like persevere through my endeavors yeah. And and I felt like she was talking about the podcast and I was all there's my sign. Like if I needed a sign, that was my sign that like like it was just it was just really good to hear from a psychic. <laughs> I guess more so than Christina. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm very for, embedded. <laughs> well, like it's one it's one thing to have family and friends be like, "No, you should continue. You should persevere." But like a psychic who knows nothing about me just telling me all these things that are true to me, like, and, and cannily spot on. And then to be like, oh, and like, you should continue your creative endeavors. I was like, okay, if I'm hearing this from an unbiased third party, yeah, sweet, awesome. So that I, I definitely will continue. And then something Christina said was really interesting is I was like, I'm not getting out of the podcast, what you, you know, what you are. And Christina's like, yeah, but you know, I open myself wide open in the third season to do the mother wound and it was fucking brutal. And maybe like, maybe you get from this podcast, what you put into it in, in, in the sense of like exposing your heart, your vulnerable heart. So I was like, okay. And so like after exposing that whole episode last week, the crying podcast and like being just totally open with all my anger and resentment to the father and God, like who, who talks about God being a narcissist publicly, you know, I felt like, yeah, I'm getting more out of it because I'm putting more into it. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So yeah. I thank you. And I know I'm, I'm not just speaking from my voice to say that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, and yeah. thank you to our listeners. One of our favorite listeners, Theo sent me an email and I still haven't read it because it's like, it's, it's a, so it's, beautiful. It's so beautiful. I haven't <laughs> read it yet. It was like, I listened to the part where you said you, you know, you didn't want to continue the podcast. And then it's this like really long email about why you should. And I still haven't read it. Cause I'm like, I want to like curl up in a cozy blanket with a hot cup of tea and just savor every bit of it. Cause it means so much to me, Theo. Thank you so much. I'm like going to start crying thinking about it and I haven't even read it, but it meant a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So today what we're doing is we're talking about the father wound again. And I have a feeling that this episode is going to end up being so long. We're going to have to have two episodes. So I just want to preface this with this might, this might be an incomplete episode, because we have so much to say about the father wound. Christina, do you want to remind us what the father provides? Yes. The father provides identity, value or worth and power. And so added in that we, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had the, am I the asshole episode where we talk about boundaries. That is an example of kind of like what you would call like a subversion of, of identity or power, basically kind of things go in there, but there's anything that involves structure of any sort, how you show up in the world, who you show up as, what are the labels that you're putting on yourself? What are the hierarchies that exist within your everyday life? All of that is the father. And as we mentioned last week, some of that is in its most pure form is obviously like a way to feel self empowered and not have to be have power over others. And in its most corrupt form is someone feeling as if they need to create power over others and create power dynamics and supremacies that exist that says that their identity is better, that their value is higher, or that their power is better than somebody else's or in therefore putting down or creating structures that support that. Mm -hmm. 
And then what the father wound looks like, and before I even go into the father wound, like the word patriarchy means a father-led system, right? And we're not saying the father is inherently bad or men are inherently bad, you know, or the archetype of father is inherently bad. We're just saying that this model of patriarchy has created this cosmic consciousness of of a perverted father, you know, like a, a fucked up father. And those who suffer at the hands of the patriarchy are experiencing the father wound. And it's not just limited to women or transgender people or people who don't subscribe to, you know, normative gender roles. Men also are victims to this, right? Like, like this is not, this is not an issue that is just for women. Like the patriarchy is this huge umbrella and we all fall under it in the ways that we are exploited and the way that the Bible and religious subtexts and texts and beliefs and systems have just completely over time been perverted and fucked up basically, right? Like I just want to like say, first of all, like this is not just women suffering at the hands of the father wound. This is everybody, right, Christina? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, absolutely. The work is everywhere. It's in the it's in those who who the patriarchy supports and it's in those who the poor the poor patriarchy subjugates, right? Like it's exactly that. But yes, simple it's, answer. It's, it's for everyone. I'm going to talk in, later about specifically how the father one has turned the divine feminine into a con artist in a lot of ways and how that in essence abuses the the divine masculine so anyways to summarize the episode from last week the father wound basically looks like narcissistic abuse judgmentalism hierarchy duality abuse of power and in that sense abuse of physical mental emotional spiritual sexual bodies manipulation and basically separation separation from the divine separation from divine masculine the divine feminine And it was so funny. I saw this Instagram this morning. It was just perfect. It was this woman. She's talking to her husband and she says, did you know that woman would not obey God when he told her not to eat the prohibited fruit? She's like, not even God, dude. So what makes you think I'm going to listen to you? You know, it's like you cannot cage the feminine. You cannot cage the divine feminine in any sense of the word and and thinking that you can. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I, but I also like a not nearly as high level of that one was another one that reminded me of it was like so many women fall asleep and are relaxed watching true crime on TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, you're literally going to try and like, you know, contain or, you know, do anything to a woman who, or a person who relaxes watching murder, like, <laughs> right. You don't even know who you're dealing with. You don't even know who you're dealing with here. So when it comes to the Bible, we have a number of different quotes all over the place of basically examples of the subjugation of women, how women were treated as property. They couldn't pursue divorce or be trusted to make a vow. That's in Deuteronomy 21.16, Leviticus 27.1. Wives were considered the property of their husband, though they held a higher status and more privileged than slaves and concubines. That is in Exodus 20.17, when Sarah failed to conceive, Abraham did what was common in the patriarchal culture and impregnated as a slave. Jacob had two wives and two maidservants for which he had 12 sons. Daughters were considered the property of their father and either sold into slavery to pay off debt or married for a bride price. This goes on and on and on. And one of the things that we talk about in a previous episode was we talked about the work of Daniel Quinn in particular, who who talks about how the story of Genesis is the story in which obviously you come from a world of abundance in which there's fruit, plentiful food everywhere and everything's wonderful. And then something happens and all of a sudden you are forced into a world in which there's competition, murder and betrayal, all of the different, you know, what things that come along with quote unquote wisdom. And Daniel Quinn talks about this because he feels that it's important to recognize that it, it's actually a story of the creation of a culture as opposed to the creation of an actual story, like the actual story that happens. Daniel Quinn talks about the leavers and the takers. Leavers are what we would call traditional matriarchal cultures in which you have situations where it's live and let live, right? Everybody's allowed to survive, everyone's allowed to thrive, etc. And then you have this other culture, which is the taker culture, which says that it is necessary to burn and prevent other people from surviving in order to ensure your own survival. So it's basically the takers are constantly taking from other people. The reason this is important is because 
his interpretation is a very good example of the Genesis story in which the patriarchal society, which you could equate with this taker society that we're talking about, was born. Interestingly, if you go into certain different types of interpretations of the Bible and translations of the Bible, there's this understanding that actually the first man and woman were actually Lilith and Adam. And Lilith was supposed to be, Adam wanted to subjugate Lilith as his property. She refused. She ran away from the Garden of Eden and she went and hang out with some archangels for quite some time, particularly Samael and all these other things. And the whole time, basically, Adam was trying to pursue her to bring her back so he could subjugate her. When he lost Lilith, he then had God create Eve, who he could subjugate. So again, you're using this story as a symbolism, right? And I'm sure there are biblical scholars who could do a more justice to this, but there are basically many examples of where we're seeing that the story of Genesis is the story of the birth of the patriarchy and the birth, the birth of the father wound and the birth of the creation of hierarchy between one group and another, whether you want to say it's, it's men and anyone who doesn't identify as male whether you want to say it's, you know, one race against another one, you want, whatever you want to say, Genesis could be conveyed or interpreted as the beginning of the separation, that that quote-unquote wisdom, that that apple, that apple represents the father wound pulling into the culture that we has taken over the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about how the father wound looks in our daily, day-to-day -day lives. How about that? Yeah. We have normalized narcissist abuse. And when I say normalized narcissist abuse, I mean, you get onto social media and you go down the avenue of narcissist abuse, you're going to find out that like it is everywhere. And when you come to understand what narcissist abuse looks like, chances are, you know, a narcissist, right? And I think that the father wound feeds into that. Like it's normalized. It's normalized in our culture to have somebody manipulate and abuse and make someone feel inferior. Yeah. It's just fascinating. Can I, can I also like expand on that? Cause I've yeah. had, I've had some recent experience kind of coming to terms with, with my experiences growing up. And it's interesting because when I think of the word narcissist, I actually have a bit of, um, I kind of have like a, um, there's like a disconnect in my body. Like my body doesn't really feel good to say that because on the one hand, on like the highest level, I can see why that person does the thing that they do right and i like totally can see it from both sides and then there's another level in which i'm just like i feel a lot of compassion for that person right to be like oh man they just don't feel safe and so they're using all these really really harmful things to express because they don't feel safe right and and then and then I'm like, and there's the 3D part of me that's like, I'm fucking cannot believe I had to experience this stuff, right? I can't believe that that I, I normalized this in my own life for so long, right? And I think where I'm coming to with it is like, if I just, sometimes it feels really good to just say like, that's a narcissist and just be like, I'm gonna bucket you and I don't care about any of the nuance that exists within you, right? And I think, but at the same time, I also think it's really useful for me, if someone, if someone, anyone listening feels the same way that I do, that like for me, it's very useful to say, this is someone who is like, they're like a caged animal or a cornered animal, right? Like they don't feel safe, right? Whether it's because they have a really high sense of self and they don't want to accept any criticism, which is very actual classical narcissist, or it's just because they don't feel safe and they use the tactics of the worst kind of fighting that you can. We're talking about projection, triangulation, all of these terms that you can get when you get onto narc talk. There are people who may not be narcissists who grow up in very traumatic experiences and when they get cornered, which is probably very, very often, right? When they feel cornered, they will use all of these tactics in order to make themselves safe again. I don't know what the hell that's called. If y'all can tell me if there is something that is that, that is called, then I would love it. A very sensitive person who constantly gets triggered and uses narcissistic abuse tactics in order to try and feel safe again. If that, if that exists somewhere, <laughs> I would love to know what that is. <laughs> 
Yeah, narc for hire. I don't know. I don't know what it. Is. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Other statistics I want to go into here. Worldwide, women ages 15 to 44 are more likely to be maimed or die from male violence than from cancer, malaria, traffic accidents, and war combined. Combined. Okay? Combined. Oh, God. Every nine seconds, a woman in the U.S. is assaulted or beaten. Some 47,000 women and girls worldwide were killed by their intimate partners or other family members in 2020. This means that on average, a woman or girl is killed by someone in her own family every 11 minutes. Data from U.S. Crime Report suggests that about one in five homicide victims are killed by an intimate partner. The reports also found that over half of female homicide victims in the U.S. are killed by a current or former male intimate partner. Now, this one is the most disturbing, especially when we know that Roe versus Wade was recently overturned. Guess what is the leading cause of pregnancy-associated death? Homicide. Homicide is the leading cause of pregnancy-associated death, accounting for 20% of such deaths. Your greatest risk when you get pregnant is that your partner fucking kills you. Okay? Ages 12 to 34 are the highest risk years for rape and sexual assault. 82% of all juvenile victims are female. 90% of adult rape victims are female. Females ages 16 to 19 are four times more likely than general populations to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. Women ages 18 to 24 who are college students are three times more likely than women in general to experience sexual violence. Hey guys, how about $200,000 in debt? And a really high chance that you're going to be sexually, sexually assaulted. assaulted. Jesus. Yes. So I just wanted to put all those statistics out there. And if they don't piss you off, then you're either very advanced on your spiritual path or you are in denial. <laughs> right. Well, actually, there's another stat here at the end of the page which says that females of the same age between 18 and 24 are who are not enrolled in college are actually four times more likely. So... Three times more likely for college enrolled and four times more likely yeah. for Go to college so you can reduce your risk of getting sexually assaulted. Oh, Jesus. All right. You want to talk a little bit about why overturning of Roe versus Wade is tied to the patriarchy? Or is that a loaded question? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's effectively, depending on who you look at and who you talk to, there's so many different kind of understandings of what is why Roe versus Wade is being overturned. On the surface, the propaganda level, which you know is never the right actual truth. We're talking about the art of war a couple, you know, we talked about the art of war this season and about how, you know, using the most moral high ground to present as the reason for something is actually always just a distraction because you're trying to win the war before it actually turns into a war. But thankfully, we aren't being art of war in this particular case. And whether you want to say that, you know, abortion needs to be banned in America because it leads to a white supremacist agenda, because the, the, the leading people who get abortions in America are usually white women. And therefore, if you, if you prevent abortion, then you're more likely to ensure that the whites stay in the majority. That could be one reason. But ultimately, what we're looking at is that Roe versus Wade is fundamentally tied to privacy, and that is the that is the basis for that decision. Nothing to do with abortion in general, and therefore the ability to say whether or not somebody can can use their body or not use their body, whatever their decision is, should be a privately held decision between that person and their medical the person who is basically helping them to do that. The patriarchy pulls into this because we are looking at a situation in which women are no longer deemed the the class of citizen anybody holding a uterus is basically not deemed enough person to be able to make their own decisions again so we're 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 back backtracking here again to all those biblical quotes of saying that this person is property or an organ donor or whatever you want to say and that they do not have the right to privacy to make their own medical decisions no matter if it harms them or puts them into harm's way in any way shape or form Right. And the people making these laws aren't in, aren't healthcare providers. They don't understand what an ectopic pregnancy is. They don't understand like all the different nuances of why it's ne medically necessary in so many situations, not to mention that it's banned in many states with no exception for rape or incest. 
And I mean, they're going to say it's a religious thing. It's clearly not even religious because if you want to go into the Bible, there's nothing in there about abortion. And in fact, Judaism, which is the basis for Judeo-Christian religion, says that in the event that a pregnancy is going to harm a woman's mental or physical health, then an abortion is warranted. So it's just a big example of the father wound of of exploiting the woman, exploiting the divine feminine, abuse of power, not treating her like she's human, essentially. Yep. Yep. And, and, and then it, yeah, you can go, you can go very far down this road, but it definitely is. It is fundamentally about how are we being subjugated in whatever way possible to, to the agenda of something that's not us and have our individual rights taken away. Mm -hmm. Um, and our individual decision-making. I want to give now some examples of a healthy father, because I think it's important with all this talk about the father wound, father wound, father wound. So I'll give one little story. I don't know if I ever told you this story, Christina, but Eric and I went on a trip with Satyan Raja. He has this warrior sage group and they do a, a spiritual adventure tour through India. So it was like three weeks or so where we travel through all these we basically retrace the steps of Buddha in Northern India. And it was absolutely amazing. And Satyan leads it. And as we're in the bus driving through the Himalayas or this or that, you know, he's leading us in all these amazing spiritual work workshops, you know, it was just like absolutely awesome. Or he'd give us a homework assignment for the day or whatever. It was just awesome. So on this trip, there was this man who was sexually inappropriate with me multiple, multiple times, like multiple, multiple times. He said things about wanting to teach me this or that about sex or just random shit about basically wanting to have sex with me. Like he kept doing it over and over and over again. And then at one point on the trip, we were on the bus and Satyan says, we're going to go one by one and we're all going to be brutally honest for the benefit of the person. We're all going to just be brutally honest to this person, what we think of them, whatever. So the first guy goes and he's a doctor and everyone's raising their hand. And some people say, it looks like he doesn't want to, you know, show off in the world. Like he, he, he's happy being quiet. And, you know, we all kind of contributed what we thought. And it was great because like he took that advice and at the next stop, he bought like this really flamboyant, funny hat. So he would stand out. So he did like the exact opposite. You know, it's like you take the advice as you want to kind of grow. It was beautiful. And when they got to this one guy, I raised my hand and I said, sexually inappropriate. And, and Satyan goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, he's trespassed my boundaries X number of times. And this is what he's done. And then like the bus goes quiet because it's like really awkward. Like people aren't contributing positive things. Like I'm like, he's been sexually inappropriate with me. Leo Anna to the Leo rescue. Anna. <laughs> and, and Satyana looks around the bus and he sees other women. One woman starts sobbing. A couple other women start quivering. And he's like, can you please raise your hand if this guy has been sexually inappropriate with you too? And like, sure enough, not every, but like pretty much a handful. Like I would say a quarter of the women on the bus raised their hand, one, one in tears. Okay. And Satyan turns into this beast. He turns into this beast of a man. Like I've never seen anyone do this. And his chest gets big and he starts saying, you will not make the women, our women feel uncomfortable. And he basically like blasted him all like he didn't insult him, but he blasted him. Like, how dare you make women feel uncomfortable how dare you trespass their boundaries and he like basically took what we said and he fucking was not going to stand for it and then we ended up having like a group meeting and Satyan kicked him out and the guy was like will I pay will I get my money back he's like you're not getting your money back like are you crazy and it was just so awesome because I have been sexually inappropriately you know advanced upon attacked whatever so many times in my life no one ever fucking did shit about it and satyan to like see him stand up for all the women on the bus and be like in the name of the divine masculine i will not let you make any women on this bus feel inferior or uncomfortable like we were sobbing for so many of us watching satyan stand up for us we were just sobbing with gratitude like it was so beautiful can i just say that you also embodied the divine masculine in that sense because you were the one who said something like yeah, i i, I feel like i feel like you can't not recognize that he came in as a protector when he was called but you called him yeah i called him 
I right. Like, this is and not, I, I was I, like, I'm fucking sick of this shit. Right. And I'm not saying that that's actually, I don't even know if that's divine masculine. I don't know what calling is in some ways it feels like the ultimate divine feminine in which the divine feminine is just like, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you into the situation. Right. So using Satyan and Suzanne's kind of framework of invitation, presence, surrender, claim, expression, and, and penetration. So the, the masculine aspects being presence, claim, and penetration, the feminine aspects being invitation, surrender, and expression, you invited him, right? Like Yeah, you and then I surrendered that. to Satyan. I was exactly. like, take it, take it. And yeah, for that reason, Satyan is always going to be like in my heart, my spiritual father to some degree, like yeah. he protected me in the best way. Yeah, so that was a beautiful story. I have another story that is absolutely hilarious. Can I tell you this one? Yes, and I've, I've actually read this one, so I'm super excited you're saying this. Yeah, go this ahead. This is hilarious. Yeah. Okay, this comes from a subreddit called Petty Revenge. It's called Shitty Boys Meet Greatest Father Ever. <laughs> and the person writes, it didn't happen to me personally. I was a gleeful bystander, and it happened at the Utrecht Central Station in the Netherlands. The shopping center is called Hoog Catherine. I might have said that wrong. But this is the story, and it is like the best you are going to be healed listening to the story and hopefully you're going to laugh. Okay. Okay. This, the story begins where the station part ended and the shopping part began. There is an escalator where there are lots of escalators. And this is the one that's relevant to the story. One side's going up and the other going down. I was grabbing a quick drink from a stand near the escalator. And then I was planning on going down into the city center. While I was making my way over to the escalator, I suddenly heard a young girl yell out, holy shit, did you just grab my ass? Right behind her were two teenage boys who were laughing and holding up a phone, obviously recording the whole thing. The boys were people of color. I won't tell you what ethnicity because I don't need whatever racist takes Reddit comes up with. I'm only mentioning it because it will become relevant later. Now, I do not do confrontation in general, but this kind of bullshit overrides whatever anxiety usually gets in the way. And I was ready to make my way over there and give those two little shits a piece of my mind and also see if the girl was okay and needed some comfort. Turns out I didn't need to bother because right behind them was the girl's father who was not amused at all by them. And he physically grabbed the two boys by the back of their shirts and hauled them over to the side and laid into them. This man was a freaking giant, by the way. I swear he was easily two meters tall and extremely muscular. Picture the mountain from Game of Thrones, but slightly more hairy. And you've got a good approximation of this guy's build. Pretty much immediately after mountain dad grabbed the boys their parents showed up i assume they were waiting to meet them at the top of the escalator also honestly what kind of morons decide to harass someone on their way to meet their parents obviously their dad demands to know what is going on and why mountain dad is manhandling his son so now mountain dad lays into shit boy dad who seems unconcerned with what his sons did and more concerned that their expensive shirts are stretched oh a plus on priorities dude the commotion attracts a nearby police officer who tells everyone to calm down and tell him what's going on. I don't think there's a police station nearby. If there is, I never noticed, so I guess he was just around. The girl explains that she was on the escalator and the boys grabbed her ass and were recording it. The father corroborates and the boys surprisingly don't deny it. In fact, they stupidly double down on their asshole behavior and snigger about it. This sends Mountain Dad flying into a rage who starts to yell that he wants to have them arrested for sexual assault and pedophilia because his daughter is only 14. These boys look to be about 17 to 18. Now, I don't know if that is something that could have actually happened, but it sure does worry shitboy dad who immediately goes on the offensive screaming that that's racial profiling and Mountain Dad and somehow his daughter are a bunch of racists. The whole thing devolves into a shouting match between the dads, one yelling that the boys are disgusting pedophiles and the other yelling that Mountain Dad is a filthy racist. The police officer just stands there looking a little lost. At one point, shitboy dad makes a crucial mistake. He yells at Mountain Dad that his daughter should take it like a compliment. She's not even that attractive. He then follows it up with a galaxy brain take of if people grab other people's asses in public, then they should be thankful for being made to feel prettier. I fully expected Mountain Dad to deck Shitboy's dad at this point, but Mountain Dad goes eerily silent and then just says, okay, turn around. Shitboy Dad and the police officer look extremely confused, but Mountain Dad's face is hard as steel. He says, I will drop whatever charges. If you and your sons turn around, let me grab your ass and then turn back to me and say, thank you for making me feel pretty. Shitboy Dad and his son look horrified for the First time in this whole fiasco, they seem to understand the humiliation and violation of someone touching you against your consent. Shitboy dad looks at his sons, his wife, the deliciously unhelpful police officer, honestly by this point is more of a background ornament than anything else, and finally to the young girl and mountain dad who is staring him down, and he makes a decision. He turns around. 
His son starts to protest, but he hisses at them to shut up and turn around. Mountain Dad's expression turns into the most murderous grin I've ever seen, and he turns to his daughter and tells her to pull out her phone and start recording. Shit Boy's dad and his son immediately move around and start protesting, but Mountain Dad argues back that his sons were doing the same thing, so either it's perfectly fine or they get arrested for it. Shit Boy Dad turns back around, visibly fuming and brightly f- and bright fucking red. The girl starts recording, and Mountain Dad grabs first the boy's asses, one hand per ass, and then Shit Boy's dad ass with both hands and gives him a firm slap on the ass too. Then he loudly says, Now tell me you're thankful and you feel prettier. The boys look like they want the ground to swallow them up, and Shitboy Dad is vibrating with rage and humiliation. They mumble something, but that won't do for Mountain Dad, who is enjoying every second of this, and his daughter, who is desperately trying to stifle her crying laughter to get footage. She is 100% going to play this back on repeat a million times. No, says Mountain Dad. I want to hear it. Let's try that again. Thank you. I feel prettier now. Say it. And they do. Before everyone gathered there, by now it's quite a crowd, they say, thank you, I feel prettier now. I'd like to tell you everyone broke out in applause, but this is real life and that didn't happen. Some people laughed a bit, but that's it. It doesn't matter because to this day, the greatest moment of revenge I've ever witnessed and it will nourish my soul for the rest of my years. Shitboy dad, by the way, took off the moment he finished his sentence, didn't even look back to see if anyone was following, just booked it in a power walk. The sons and wife followed and that's all I know. Mountain dad hugged his daughter really tight kissed her on the forehead, and then they giggled over the replay of the video she took. I'd like to think that girl grew up all right. I love that story. (laughs) It's good. It's really good. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So it was funny because while you were reading that, I was like, hmm, what is an opportunity in which the father has defended has like defended me and I was like, I don't know if I really want to go there because that that wasn't necessarily something that was prevalent a lot in my life, but I kind of was reflecting on Luke, my husband, and like what I think makes him a healthy father. And, you know, we talk about the drama triangle in the past seasons and how, and even Satyan talks about this when he talks about the divine masculine is that, you know, the persecutor is oftentimes the masculine will fall into the persecutor role more naturally and the, fe- and, you know, the kind of feminine that's not necessarily the divine feminine will fall more into the rescuer. Like that's kind of, a, but obviously everyone switches constantly between them. And the persecutor in its higher form, right, when, and it's kind of the the better, more, the better triangle, which is coach for rescuer, tender vulnerable part or creator for victim, and then the persecutor becomes the challenger. And so I was thinking of times in which my husband has challenged my kids in a really healthy manner that made them feel as if they actually had a choice, but also let them know what they were committing to. So even just like a really simple example the other day was that my daughter absolutely loves performing on stage. She loves it but she does not like going to practice in order to be able to get up on stage. She just wants to get up on stage, right? And she's been taking dance and she doesn't like, will oftentimes kind of like not want to go to dance, but dance, you know, you have to go to the practices and like it's a part of the kind of commitment of being on stage at the end of the season in order to be able to do that. And so, you know, the other day he was just like, I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna let you know what you're committing to right? And you're committing to this entire thing. You're committing to the performance and then you're committing to, you know, as long as you're healthy and you can go and we don't have a conflict, like you're, you're committed to going to the practices that lead up to that performance. And, and he was like, and you have every choice. You can make whatever choice you want, right? If you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. If you don't, you know, and he was just challenging her to be like, you need to understand the commitment that we're making. And we are going to teach you that commitment, right? Which is to understand follow through and also challenge you with the appropriate ability for her to actually make a decision and be like, yeah, this is what I want to do. So just kind of giving a more, not, it, it's not a heroic example, but it's a, an example that can happen in everyday life of like, how can we, instead of being like, you never commit to anything. You're just never, you're, you're not even going to end up doing it at the end of the season. And I'm going to have to convince you halfway through the season to even go to the performance. And I don't want to do that. So are you going to actually commit to this? That's the persecutor, right? The, the, the challenger says, okay, cool. So this is the commitment that we're going to make. 
the commitment that we're going to make is we're going to go to all their all that you know we're going to go to the practices and we're going to go to the performance at the end of the season and then at the end of the season you can make another decision as to whether or not you want to do it next year right there's nothing about who you used to be what you've done in the past you know making foregone conclusions about your character and like using that against you to be like ah you're just going to do it again you know it's none of that it's just pure statement of facts like you're challenging and you're holding a standard as to how you need to be but you're allowing the person to freely make the decision without humiliation or coercion or guilt pulling into it i love that very good job luke <laughs> all right so there are definitely a couple of ways that i'm dealing with the father wound but you know i kind of also wanted to speak to a couple of things just like quickly with the father wound because it's been a question that people have brought up a lot with the primal wounds as well as the mother wound and I kind of wanted to touch on it with the father wound is this example of the fact of like people are like well where's my father wound coming from like when we talked about the, the mother wound we talked about like the cosmic mother and then the personal mother right so like the 3d mother and the 5d mother or 6d mother whatever you want to say and you know we didn't necessarily use that same context because we didn't have it when we did the primal wounds episodes to basically say hey this can come from a bigger place right in which you are you know in a human experience or you're in a spiritual experience and you could have a you know it could sit the wound could sit at the spiritual level right so just or the mental level the emotional level or the physical level right like something like a memory that you actually experienced or a scar that you actually have right so the wound can kind of sit on all these different levels and you know one of the things that i've recently discovered with my father wound right is that my father wound resonates massively as what anna's saying in kind of the culture right like i read the i listen to the stats that anna said earlier and i'm just like motherfucker like i you know like literally i'm just so upset about hearing that and i feel so much injustice like i feel my injustice wound coming up i feel my betrayal wound coming up i just feel all of that when i hear it at that level and then i bring it down into the the personal story right of like my the personal story being like my own experience in my life with with people in my life and it's really interesting because when i look at it i find that my father wound doesn't actually necessarily sit with my father it sits with other people who are in parental positions in my life or have been in parental positions in my life and i was doing some you know kind of reflection on that and recognizing that those people in those positions i can actually pinpoint a past life in which that person has been my father and I pinpoint in my past life a place that that person has been my father and recognize that the father wound is coming through them because it was they played that position in a previous life so you know when you want to talk about the origin especially of the stuff of the personal stuff is like hey I had a great childhood yes you could be a golden child and suffering some form of you know narcissistic abuse or that other thing that I was talking about or it could be that you know the continuation of the soul throughout all the different lives that we talk about when we interview Ainsley McLeod like the continuation of the life through all these different things like you're you're coming across these people and these people are in your soul group and you're just gonna keep having these experiences even if you're not actually experiencing anything in this given life when it comes on the personal level I feel like everyone suffers from the father wound in this they do you know, i do they do i'm saying patriarchal dominated culture yeah no i completely agree that's what i'm saying i'm saying that like i feel it at a high level in the culture right but right. i'm also saying that if you're experiencing it on a personal level or you're saying i do or don't or i this person everyone's always been so nice to me but i feel a father wound on a personal level like in my own life you know what does it mean like outside the collective right then it could be that it's coming from a past life or something along those lines. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of how I'm dealing with the father wound, one of the things that, that we've been doing a lot this season is recognizing the understanding of how the patriarchy has shaped our spiritual practice in a lot of ways, right? Because Anna and I started off full on Vipassana, right? Which is all about basically training yourself to feel the sensations in the body and become equanimous to them. And by doing that, you untie all the knots of your sensation inside your body and then you experience bonga, which is basically an experience of transcending 
the 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 feeling of being in a body right to basically everything is is limitless experience right and going into states of vipassana doesn't use the term samadhi so much that's more of a that's you know that's more of a hindu term but basically going into states of of ecstatic bliss or something along those lines where you're basically feeling the world outside the world while you're still in the body you're using the mind to train the mind to be able to pull up all the past sensations that are kind of stuck in your body and kind of moving things out that's where anna and i started out and then as we've kind of gone along on this journey especially with this podcast with y'all i feel like we've kind of come to realize that a lot of spiritual practice especially what we would call kind of practices that encourage you to live outside the body or to transcend the human experience to kind of transcend the 3d experience and kind of go straight into a mental thought that allows you to not be in a body that those are more patriarchal spiritual practices right jeff brown you know when we interviewed him it was a it, for me that was a tough interview and you know one of the things that we you know that i learned from reading it is that you know there is this tendency to bypass there is this tendency to say like well that's outside my body or that's 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 a that's pain and i don't associate my pain body with me that's not me that's my pain body right and it's like oh i can dissociate from that experience for me the process of becoming more about matriarchal spirituality is this understanding that this is something that I've gotten in my ketamine experiences and, and I, we're gonna do a longer episode on those so I'll kind of explain it more later, but is that it's kind of like a clock, right? I would say that patriarchal spirituality goes in a counterclockwise measure. It basically looks for gaining freedom from the body and the body experiences, and then you can experience samadhi or bliss states, like the experience of expansive and unconditional love everywhere. Right. So that's kind of like a counterclockwise, you know, you're starting with going, you know, first to freedom and then once you're free enough of the experience, then you experience love. Right. Because you don't have the body encumbering you like at all. You're just like, yeah, I'm free now. And now I feel love. Oh, my God, I'm outside my body. So now I can feel love. Isn't this so amazing? Right. And I think I started to realize that this is the analogy they gave me when I was in those experiences with as was that was a little bit like trying to go back up the birth canal into the womb, right? It's, it's like, and, and in so many ways, right? Because not only are you trying to unborn yourself, right, by, you know, leaving the experience of the body in order to feel to feel the love of like being in the womb again, and being unconditionally loved by your creator. And it's very conditional, I have to leave the body in order to be able to feel unconditional love because i'm not capable of experiencing it while i'm in a body you know it's in multiple ways it's like trying to go up the birth canal so the other way the clockwise way which is obviously hilarious that i'm using a clock because clock is chronos which is like a patriarchal structure but whatever is that going clockwise when you go towards love excitement and enjoyment and embodiment right when you start to go that way and you actually seek love inside the body then freedom comes naturally as a result of that because suddenly you know you're seeking love and accepting love in ways that you never did before what happens when you do that is that you fill yourself with love making yourself vulnerable which means that you don't have to do those things that i was talking about in the beginning like you don't feel unsafe all the time right this is like like we said it's training wheels like boundaries and you know all these things are training wheels and eventually if you embody enough self-love and you recognize that no one can reject you no one can betray you you know you are attached and capable of fulfilling all of your mother wound needs you can you know with the father wound you're able to you know you're able to provide your own identity you love yourself so you have your own self-worth you know, you are you are ultimately powerful when you allow yourself to be unleashed in all your greatest ways in the world. When you are providing your own validity, then then all the all the wounds, you know, they they don't they don't vanish, but they're like they, they're you know, they can resolve themselves. So going the path of love, right? Rumi says it all the fucking time, y'all. 
like read any Rumi poem that you want and every single one of them is like this is all about love love knows the way out like if we're trying to get out of something if we're trying to get out of the matrix or if we're trying to get out of whatever experience we have no matter what way you say it love is the way out y'all love is the way and love is what gives you freedom and that's the way that we can progress and that's the matriarchal way that's the way of embodiment right so the father wound in my experience the work that i've been doing with it which is pretty different than anna's or it's actually just a different flavor of the same thing is recognizing that loving being in my body and trusting my body and i mean bodies which is why we kind of did that episode a couple of whiles ago so the balance of recognizing my physical my mental my emotional both my spiritual bodies and like and source and like using all of those is actually how I can love myself fully enough to be able to not need external somebody to give me my identity or someone to tell me that I'm less than or someone tell me that I'm more than. So that's how I'm kind of working with the the father wound. And it's a very personal, it's a very 3D level, right? It's not, it's, it, I'm not saying anything about the community at this point, other than the spells I do on a regular basis to uh, try and um, dismantle the patriarchy from the etheric. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to talk about how I'm quote unquote, dealing with the father wound. And as someone said in a, in a TikTok comment on our page last week, that maybe there's nothing to deal with it. Maybe just exposing it is the healing, right? So who knows? Okay. So let me talk about the 3D first, the third dimension being here in the physical and the body and the place where we need paychecks and we need food and we need cars and we need this and that and this and that. And like, we can't transcend it with love and happy thoughts, right? So if you're living in the 3D world and you're not at the point where you are ready to forgive and just work on your own power and your own this and your own that, and you like actually live here on this place where like abortion might be illegal in your state and like you don't have human rights where you live or you're getting sexually harassed at work, but you need that job or you know, just a whole multitude of things outside you that you can't really control. It's like, I don't know if anybody watched Ozark, but there's this great quote by Ruth Langmore when she goes to the sheriff to report all sorts of stuff that's going on. And this was her quote, and I thought it was so perfect. She says, Wendy's playing chess and you're playing fucking Candyland. All right. Like the problem with the father wound, the problem or the solution, we could say, with the father wound is it turns us into chess players, you know, like Wendy's playing chess and you're playing fucking Candyland. Like the people who are oblivious to the father wound, who are oblivious to how corrupt and fucked up this 3D world are, are over here playing Candyland when the people who understand how fucking dangerous this world can be are playing chess, right? Yep. And then there's this great book by Edith Warden called The Age of Innocence, and it takes place in upper class New York. I want to say the early 1900s like Downton Abbey, but it's happening in the United States kind of era. I might be wrong exactly about the years. So basically this book, and I hope not to give too many plot spoilers away if you really want to read the book, but basically the main character is Newland Archer and he's engaged to a woman named May. And May has an inkling that he's not a hundred percent into her, right? So she says to him in the beginning of the book, so I'm not giving away too much. She says to him, I have the sense that you're not fully committed to me. And so I want to have a long engagement. And she's right. Like he's totally in love with her cousin, Countess Olenska. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want to get married to you right away. Let's not have a long engagement. And May being the divine feminine and operating from a place of integrity says to him, no, like I feel in my heart that you are not, not totally into me. Why don't we have a long engagement? And that will give you the opportunity to resolve whatever you have going on on the side so you can make a decision because this is a really important decision and you really need to be sure. So she's operating from a place of total integrity and total acceptance. She's not bitter. She's not a bitch. She's like, look, I love you and I want to be with you, but I want you to be 100% sure. So get sure and then we will get married. Or, or we can call the, the engagement off. And he basically gaslights her. And he's like, no, everything's okay. Let's have a short engagement. Because in his mind, he thinks if he hurry ups and marry her, he'll, he's going to get over the countess. So he totally gaslights her. He totally does fucking father wound on her. And throughout the book, 
he thinks that she is just this naive idiot. May is just this naive, innocent idiot. And May is very nice and very sweet and very proper. And she plays archery. So this is a, a, a quote. He says, what if niceness carried to that supreme degree were only a negation? The curtain dropped before an emptiness. As he looked at May, returning flushed and calm from her final bullseye, he had the feeling that he had never yet lifted that curtain. Okay, this is so important, I think, to the father wound, because here is a man who thinks he's married a total dumbass, a total idiot, that she's empty inside, and that the only thing she's carrying in front of her is this curtain of niceness, all right? What's going on here? May is Wendy. She is aware of where she is and who she is living with. And she's aware of how fucked up her husband has betrayed her father wound style. She knows he's still in love with the accountants. And it's not until her death that Archer recognizes that all along his wife knew about the affair and his wife had orchestrated certain things to happen. So he was trapped in the marriage. And so what I want to say here and how this relates to the father wound is if you live in this world of the father wound and you do live in the 3D where you do have 3D desires and 3D needs and 3D justices, you might have to be in situations. You need to have the upper hand. It's like the art of war. You need to understand what is going on and you need to fucking play chess sometimes in this 3D world. Like you got to understand that, <laughs> that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. I do. And one of, and kind of from from my perspective, one of the things that I I think is an interest it's a side hobby. It's more of a hobby of my husband is looking at I can't remember what they call it. I think they call it Homo sapien domesticus or something like that. Domesticus fragilis or something like that. There's a lot of like people who are into like primitive things like that are into like wild what whether it's wild food eating whether it's like primitive skills things along those lines and they're like guys y'all the vast majority of humans have just become fragile domesticated creatures right like they're just doing what they're supposed to do they're following the rules that they've been given and they're doing everything they they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do right and you know i remember there's been a couple of times in my life where i've like woken up from a dream and i'm just like holy shit they're not the people who are quote unquote in power who are manipulating the father wound to their advantage are not following any of the fucking rules like they don't follow any of them right and yet we are expected to follow the rules and do what we're supposed to do so i feel like from your perspective like taking the, like kind of a slightly different approach but the same approach uh, but but the very similar idea is this idea that like the long con is another exam is an example of basically recognizing that you need to appear to follow the rules but you can yes. use those fucking rules to your you can right. you can use those rules to manipulate the system right and i'm not talking about becoming karens right who are all about like upholding they're like the the fucking they're like the the rule enforcers in a lot of ways because they don't have any other power so it's like well the rule structure exists so i'm gonna keep it up you know i'm not talking about that i'm talking about how are you able to manipulate the power structures that exist while still staying within the system. Yep. And it may be that you you kind of go more like me, right? In the sense that, and I'm not saying that I've mastered this in any way, but like I've always had one foot out the door into a world that there aren't any rules, right? There's a whole world out there of people who are like, fuck mortgages, fuck all this stuff. I'm going to live in a tiny home or I'm going to go live in a whatever. And I'm going to say, fuck the, fuck the patriarchy, so to speak. And I'm going to live outside the rule set, but you can also live within that same rule set and really be able to move wherever you want within that system. It's a choice. I think in a lot of ways, it's almost a life purpose choice to say, am I going to be inside the trenches and blow up the building from the inside? Or am I going to live outside and offer support structures and basically build the new world? Like there's a lot of different choices in this, but it's a movement y'all. And it's our job, both internal, like all this external war, quote unquote, this external experience is exactly what's happening on the inside of us as well. So whether you want to look at it from this is what's happening out there, or whether you want to say this is what's happening in here, it's the same approach. Right. right. Like you may not be aware of it, but by being in this world of the father wound, you are playing chess. So don't be a fucking pawn. Be the queen. Know the rules of the game.
Thank you for listening to this second of three episodes of our Father Wound series. Please stay tuned next week as we further the conversation. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it. And all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.